You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken from Malachi chapter 1, the verses 6 to 8. You'll notice that the theme for this afternoon begins with, if we want to be faithful sons of God, the metaphor of son runs through Malachi, but you also have it here in verse 6 and following. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Well, you place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice... Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? The text for this afternoon is Malachi 3, the verses 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. The whole nation of you. Because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest privilege that can happen or be given to a person is to be called a son of God. 
And in that biblical language, the females are included as well. So I'm not just talking about males. I'm talking about children of God. It's the greatest privilege. It was visibly portrayed before each one of you this afternoon with the baptism of Jenica Cosette. Baptized into the name of Jesus. Think of that. Her sins have been forgiven. She is cleansed with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not as a possibility, but as an actuality. She really is cleansed. And because she is forgiven, she is adopted into God's family. And God the Father is her Father. And God the Father loves her just as much as He loves His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because she is grafted into Jesus and a child of the Father, she also has the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is more than willing to come and indwell her and impart to her what she has in Christ. Namely, the cleansing of her sins and the daily renewal of her life. Now, if that doesn't boggle your mind, that that is true for you and for me. And for all those who are born in the covenant of grace, if that doesn't just blow you away, then I don't know what's going to blow you away. The child of God, the eternal one, the father of Jesus, and loved with the same love with which he loves his only son. And the more that sinks in, brothers and sisters, the more we will do our best in the power of the Holy Spirit to make, to make God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ the center of our lives. In my premarital counseling classes, I sometimes ask the question, and I ask it because the book tells me to ask it. You know, is God the center of your life? And you know what? They all say He is. He's the center of our lives. But because I know what that's like in my own life, I ask another question. And I say, do you spend a lot of time thinking about God? And I don't mean 24-7. And I don't mean while you're supposed to be focused on your work. I mean, for instance, on your downtime. You're driving in the car. You got lots of time to think. I says, what, what do you think about? Or who do you think about? You spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus and his father. And they all sheepishly tell me, no, we don't. And I said I asked that because I know 
what it's like in my own life. And don't you find that odd? Imagine two people being in love for the first time. Most of you know that. Even if you've not had that experience, I think you can fantasize about what that might be like. You spend a lot of time thinking about the girl or about the boy. Even when you're supposed to be focused on your work, you probably, you know, the boy or the girl intrudes into your consciousness. And that's because the boy or girl means a lot to you. And you have deep, deep-rooted emotional feelings of attachment to the boy or to the girl. And we don't have this with God. We don't have this with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if we're not thinking about the Lord Jesus, who in the world are we thinking about? And if it's not a who, what in the world am I thinking about? What are you thinking about? What is so important in your life and in my life that it deserves all that attention that we give it in our thoughts, in our affections? You realize, of course, that there's more at stake than simply that this is completely unnatural. Adopted into the family of God, washed with the blood of Jesus, being loved with the same love as which the Father loves Jesus, and hours and whole days may go by that we don't even think about that. Not only is it unnatural, it will also hinder us in being bearers of the glory of God. We all know, as good Calvinists, that we live for God's glory, right? We live for God's glory. But who is the glory of the Father? It's Jesus. Jesus is the glory of the Father. That's why the Father allowed the Son to make all things. All things were made by the Word. And Colossians even says that all things were made for Him, for the Word. They're all made for Jesus, that He might have preeminence, the highest spot among everything. And you hear an echo of that in Philippians 2 when Paul says, one day... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They're not confessing that God is the Father. Implicitly they are, of course, when they confess that Jesus is Lord, but explicitly they are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has preeminence to the glory of God the Father. 
God receives glory when his son receives glory. Jesus is the glory of the Father. So living for the glory of God is living so that the glory of the Father becomes manifest in us. Jesus becomes manifest in us. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to connect the dots. If Jesus is the glory of the Father, and we are united to Jesus, right? United to Jesus, incorporated into Jesus, then who else is the glory of the Father? You. You are the glory of the Father. I am the glory of the Father. But if we hardly give God the thought of day, we hardly give Jesus the thought of day, you realize, of course, that that is going to be a tremendous impediment for you and me to really be bearers of the glory of God, to be bearers of Jesus, so that others see Jesus in us. And that's precisely what God wants others to see in you. He wants the church to be a blessing for the nations. He wants the nations to see Jesus in the church. So that the nations may also be drawn to Jesus and to the church. For God is patient and long-suffering. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but everyone to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of Israel were also sons of God. The whole nation. Not just the believers. Don't make that mistake. The whole covenant community was made up of sons of God. And from the early chapters in Malachi, we know that they didn't look like sons of God. They didn't act like sons of God. And they didn't look and act like sons of God because God was not number one in their lives. They really were not in love with God. And so the priests of all people, they had the audacity to offer the blind and the lame animals, animals that were no good or were going to die anyway, they offered these kind of animals to God. And you hear the sarcasm in Malachi when he says, try, try giving that to your governor, a human person. He's going to say, get rid of this junk. And you, you offer it to God. And now in our text of this afternoon, Malachi gives us another example. It's the example of the tithes. 
an outer symbol of an inner reality. You realize, of course, that when God commanded his people to give them one-tenth of everything they had, it wasn't that God was saying to the people, well, 90% of what you have is yours and 10% is mine. That's not what he was teaching them. He was teaching them that everything was his. The whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all mine, says the Lord. But in asking you to separate one-tenth of that, very intentionally to me, I am teaching you that. That everything belongs to me. And then, not just your possessions, but your heart as well. And then Malachi says that when we refuse to do that, we are robbing God. Isn't that awful? We're robbing God of what we owe him. Usually, brothers and sisters, when we cannot part with even a tenth of what God has given us, it's a symptom of a deeper lying problem, namely that we are too much in love with the things of this world. Allegedly, Luther once said there are three conversions. There's the conversion of the mind and the conversion of the heart. And what do you think the third conversion was, according to Luther? He said it was the conversion of the purse. I think that's just a 16th century way of saying the conversion of the wallet. That needs to be converted as well. And it wasn't. Their hearts weren't even converted, nor were their minds. And that's why their purse, their wallets were not converted. And Malachi says, you know, it's nothing new. Nothing new. Your fathers were like that too. In fact, that's why I sent them out into exile. If you read in 2 Kings 17, I believe, the ultimate sin, why the people of Israel were sent into exile was idolatry. And the scriptures call idolatry greed. And Lord's Day 34 defines idolatry as placing your trust in things or people in addition to God. And heaven forbid, instead of God. That's what the people of Israel were doing. And so the sad thing is, the sad message of our text is that the people who had returned from exile, and Malachi is addressing the people who had returned from exile, they had learned nothing. It's almost like God had sent their forefathers into exile for nothing. Because they were merrily walking and adopting the same sins of their fathers. And as such, 
They were failures. Failures as sons of God. If we want to be a blessing to the world, if we want to honor our Father, if we want to be bearers of the glory of God, we need to have God as number one in our lives. And it wasn't the case for the people of Israel. And it wasn't new. And neither was the fact new that they were not a blessing for the nations either. You know, brothers and sisters, when we refuse to put God first in our lives, something for which we were made, we were made in the image of God. We were made for God. And if we refuse to put God first in our lives, sooner or later, you and I will feel the pinch. Imagine never changing the oil in your car. It's going to happen to your car. Now, I grew up in the 1960s. Just before I went to the Netherlands to study, I had a 57 Chevy. And I don't know how it happened. Coming back from Vancouver, just before the McCollum Road exit in Abbotsford, you know, the whole thing seized up. That's what happens. That can happen to your life too. If you don't live according to God's design, your whole life can all of a sudden seize up and be brought to a grinding halt. That's what was happening to the people of the church in Malachi's day. God had sent the locusts. And the locusts were devouring the crop. And God sent these locusts to the people of Israel as a curse of the covenant. You're all of you. The whole nation lies under a curse because you are withholding the tithe from me. You are not living according to my design. But God did this because He loved the people. That's the meaning of His name, the Lord. I am always actively involved in your life for your good, even when I send the locusts. I am patient with you. I do not want you to perish. I want you to repent. I want you to live as a son of God. And God even says, test me. Test me. Give me your tithes as an outer symptom of a deeper reality. Give me your hearts and I will open the floodgates of heaven and the blessings will pour down upon you in such an abundance that there will not be enough room in your storehouses to store my blessings. And you will experience 
the greatest privilege that a person can ever experience. You will experience what it really is like to be my son, my daughter, adopted into my family. And you will be a bearer of my glory. And you will be a blessing to the nations. Because look at verse 12. The nations will see this. They'll see your bumper crops. They'll see you living differently than you did before. They'll see you worshiping me, making me number one in your life. And they'll go, wow. Wow, what a difference. What a difference the worship of the Lord makes in their lives. And they, they will call you blessed. And who knows? Maybe God will use that to draw people of the nations to Himself as well. If we want to be faithful sons of God by being bearers of His glory and being a blessing for the nations, He needs to be number one in our lives. The question, of course, is, Is he? The Lord Jesus says so beautifully, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Right? What's important for you, your heart will be there. Remember the girl? Remember the boy? If money is important for you, your heart will be there. If your investments are important, your heart will be there. If sex is important for you, your heart will be there. If hockey is important for you, your heart will be there. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. So the question is, where is my heart? Where is your heart? And how does it show? How does it show in your talk? And how does it show in your walk? Are you perhaps robbing God of anything? And if so, what are you robbing God of? Are you and I perhaps forfeiting a blessing from God? Because we are robbing God. Has your life perhaps grinded to a halt because you are not living according to God's design. My intent is not to deflate you. My intent is to inspire you. And these questions were simply meant to convict you and to convict myself. Because unless you and I are convicted, there will be no change. But the question is, are you convicted? Am I convicted? And now comes the inspiration. How are you going to change? 
Well, I've played this trick on you before. Pull out your notebooks. I've got five steps, right? Five things. And everybody start writing down these five things. It doesn't work that way. I want to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you and I don't need five steps or five points. As if we're going to leave this church building and pull up our own bootstraps by our own efforts. As if that's what the Christian life is about. Another set of do's. Do this and your life will work better. The only thing I'm going to tell you to do is to go to Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. For grace. That's the beauty of the preaching. It's a key of the kingdom. I get to open the kingdom of heaven for you this afternoon. So that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ can just come tumbling out of the kingdom of heaven. Forgiving grace. Because you're all thieves. Just like I am. And we all need the forgiving grace of God. For having robbed Him. Of what we owed Him. And liberating grace. Brothers and sisters. Because we're all too attached to this. And if it's not this, then we're all too attached to other things in this world. And you and I need to be liberated. We need to be freed from that. We need to be able to hang on to this very loosely so that if it goes, it doesn't matter. It's okay. The only thing and the only person we should be attached to too strongly, and the word too isn't even proper, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus offers you, and He offers me liberating grace. And last but not least, He offers you and me healing grace. Because we're all sick. That's right. You're sick. I'm sick. We're all sick. And I don't mean that in a Pelagian sense. I mean that just in a Reformed sense. We're all sick. We all have original sin in us. We all have this filthy well in us that bubbles up all sorts of iniquity. And we need to be healed. And the Lord Jesus wants to heal you this afternoon. He wants to heal me. He wants to make you look like Himself. The Lord Jesus who always put the Father first in His life. Always did. The Lord Jesus Christ who was always a bearer of the glory of God. So that Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord Jesus Christ, who was a blessing for the world. He laid down His life for you and for me. 
He lived a perfect life for you and for me. He's like the Old Testament high priest, you know, with the ephod, the twelve stones. And then on his shoulders he had six in here. And he represented just the believers in Israel, right? He just represented the believers. No, he didn't. He represented everybody in Israel. Unbelievers and believers. And the priest went around just doing his work. And he did it for the whole nation. And Jesus is our great high priest. So Jesus went around. And you just have to imagine the Ivan. wasn't there, but you have to imagine it, right? You always read your Bible in the light of the Old Testament. And you imagine him here. And just the believers were on there, right? Just the believers. No, no, no. The whole church was on there. The whole body. Little Jenica was on there too. And little Aliana was on there. And, and your grandchildren and your children were all on there. That's why they're baptized. That's why we don't say we only baptize believers. No, we baptize infants because they were all on the shoulder. They were all in the ephod. And Jesus lived his life for the whole community. He also put God, his father, number one for little Jenica and for you. And now here's the beautiful thing. He didn't just do that as an example for you to follow. That's way too superficial. Because then you can pull up yourself by your own bootstraps again. You can just look at Jesus and say, now I have to do it just like He did. What He did for you, He wants to do in you. With His Holy Spirit. So come to Me, says Jesus this afternoon. All you who feel so deflated... All you thieves and robbers, come to me if you want to change. And I will give you grace. Forgiving grace, liberating grace, and healing grace. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.